but we don't want to wait till everybody gets hit by crippling <laughs> tornadoes. How do we mobilize people in advance to think about these issues, to develop and move their communities towards a more resilient place without being shocked that way? Welcome to Infinite Earth Radio. We believe that in a world of finite natural resources, a smart and sustainable future is only possible by lifting up people and unleashing unlimited human potential. Infinite Earth Radio will not only help you learn from bright visionary civic leaders who are building smarter, more inclusive and sustainable communities, but you'll discover how you can bring these ideas to your community. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Hancocks and Vernice Miller-Travis. Welcome back to Infinite Earth Radio, where we talk with thought leaders and change agents who are transforming the future by building smarter, more sustainable, and more equitable communities. This is your host, Mike Hancox, and today we will be sharing the second of two interviews Kif Scheuer of the Local Government Commission and I conducted with disaster preparedness and recovery consultant Laura Clemens at the 2017 New Partners for Smart Growth Conference. The first of these two interviews aired last week. In light of the recent hurricanes in Florida and Texas, these interviews present important and timely advice on disaster preparedness and recovery, particularly for smaller and rural communities. My co-host today is Kif Scheuer from the Local Government Commission. Hello, Kif. Hey, how are you doing? Great. And our guest today is Laura Clemens, Resiliency Specialist and Founder of Collaborative Communities. That's correct. Welcome. Thank you. In order to set the context, we'd love to hear from you, Laura, about how you got interested in community resiliency and disaster work. Well, I have lived in communities that were very nice, and I've lived in communities that were very not nice. And so I always joke that I came by this naturally. I always suspected that there was someone behind the scenes determining how our communities looked. And I got into learning about smart growth through my Main Street program in Birmingham, Alabama. They did a great job in partnering with the health department and connecting it to health-related issues that we had in our city. So I started coming to smart growth conferences and learning the language. And then in 2011, Alabama was hit by 67 tornadoes in one day. And then my life changed forever. And I became an activist in disaster recovery and advocating for it to be done in a different way. And so now I get the great pleasure of melding my two loves, which is building great places that are safer for people to live in. I think if we can achieve those two things, we'd be doing pretty well. That's fantastic. Now, you said something that we're here at a Smart Growth Conference, which is full of a lot of practitioners who are often considered advocates, and we don't always hear ourselves thought of as activists. Could you tell me about that distinction? You call yourself both. Sure. I think that I've been really comfortable thinking of myself as an advocate for a long time. I've advocated for education, and I've advocated for bike paths, and I've advocated for, you know, walk routes to school for kids. And we're really comfortable. It's sort of a safe place to be like, I'm for this thing. And I'm going to, you know, maybe sign a petition or do something very soft and not too controversial. When I became an activist, it, in my own mind, shifted me 
to actually being much more willfully committed to solving the injustices that I saw in the world. And so it really, for me, was about just shifting the way that I thought about myself and my own power and my own ability to change the world. And it's pretty freeing. And so now what I really focus on when I talk to people, whether it's at conferences or it's with clients that I meet with in a post-disaster situation or just neighborhoods that want to try and be better, it's about personal activism and figuring out how you can unleash your inner activist, find the things in the world that you can change and figure out who the other people are that feel the same way that you do, connect with them and find your tribe, expand your tribe, include more people. And then it turns out that big changes can happen at the individual level. You don't have to wait for the big government to fix it, which they're not really well equipped at doing anyway. So that's really interesting because a lot of times when we think about the solutions that we hear about, especially related to these big disasters, they sound very expensive. They sound very complicated. And it does seem like something that somebody else is going to take care of. Can you give me some examples? Help us see how a group of individuals might actually be able to change that pathway post-disaster? Sure. For me personally, I was just a regular person living in a neighborhood. I had a job and I have neighbors and then a, a bad thing happens, right? And for us, it was tornadoes. And I live in the South and we have tornadoes all the time. And it's just not every time it rains, there's a tornado. There's not usually 67 and it doesn't usually take out three quarters of the state's infrastructure. And I think when that happens, everything just sort of changes. And when the system is no longer in place to take care of you, when the first responders' homes are the ones that have been destroyed, when City Hall is gone, when Red Cross is destroyed, that really means that there is no one there to come and fix it for us or, or even to save us. And I think that a lot of people in rural communities and small towns are very used to doing for themselves and then their neighbors. We're fairly resilient in that way and taking care of each other and sort of springing to action when something needs to be done. And that's what I saw happen across Alabama. And it really, I didn't know where to start. I was sort of overwhelmed with all the destruction everywhere and where do you even begin? And I think that that crippling feeling of being overwhelmed that it's too big of a problem is what we feel in everyday life, right? We see problems, but it's like the whole system. And so I was sort of like head under the blankets thinking how terrible everything that was happening in across Alabama was and where do I start? And my sister, who has always been a really wonderful sage advisor, said, Laura, you're a doer. Pick up the phone and just call someone and see what they need you to do. And I was like, oh, that's all very simple. And I knew somebody at United Way and I picked up the phone and I called them. And of course, no one answered because their phone system was overwhelmed with people calling. But after about 10 minutes, somebody called me back and they said, yes, we need you at Red Cross. Go there and answer the phones. And I was like, I know how to answer the phones. That's manageable. And I started answering the phones. And then from there, I started working with people that needed things. One man needed eyeglasses. I mean, I don't know anything about eyeglasses. I'm not an ophthalmologist, but I know ophthalmologists. And I knew a guy that ran an eyeglass store. And so I called him and I put him together with the people that needed it. And all of a sudden, these networks just started springing up because there were a lot of people like me. We don't necessarily, we're not trained to be first responders or disaster recovery experts. We assume that there's someone that knows how to do this. The truth is, it's just about doing it and figuring it out as you go. And it turns out that's really applicable to everyday life. Just there's no magical person that's so much smarter than you that can do it better than you. Just figure out where you're comfortable starting and just start doing. And then all of a sudden you realize that you've become the expert, that you've done it more than a lot of people. And that's always a little shocking. And that's, I think, 
how you start to be a doer. You just start doing. Wonderful story and and very empowering. And, but we don't want to wait till everybody gets hit by crippling <laughs> tornadoes. How do we mobilize people in advance to think about these issues, to develop and move their communities towards a more resilient place without being shocked? Well, you know, I think that disasters, natural disasters are sort of representative of bad things happening. And I think that bad things, startling things, things that throw our lives off kilter happen frequently. And so I think whether it's, you know, you having one car that you rely on to get to work and it breaking down, or you not being able to have enough money for childcare and trying to figure out how to balance that. There's a, there's a lot of places in individuals' lives where it feels very overwhelming. You don't really know what to do for yourself. And I think when it comes to personal being an activist and realizing, seeing that in yourself, it's about our, our individual communities. Look around your neighborhood. It doesn't have to be associated with work right? It can be in your own neighborhood. Look around it and I'm sure that there's something that frustrates you. There may be speeding cars or whatever it is. What happens when you start to feel empowered to make a change and you start collaborating with others, it, it's not just the outward impact that it has. It has an impact on yourself. All of a sudden, you recognize if your car breaks down and you don't have any way to get to work, you've actually created a much larger community of people that you know are there for you. And that's what resilience is about, is this idea that I can take care of myself and other people. And we're recreating these networks that we've lost over time with the moving to the suburbs and disconnecting from our neighbors. We've lost a lot of these human connections that created that resilience. And I think this is really just a meandering path to find our way back to that. In your work, how do you help other people do this? How do you communicate to other people this idea that they have the ability to create these networks of resiliency? There's a, a diagnostic tool that I've developed. It's a component of a book that I'm in the midst of writing. It's called The Doer's Guide to Resiliency because the, the word resiliency is very nebulous and overwhelming to me. Like I don't really exactly understand. I mean, I hear weird definitions of it and like the words on the paper make sense but I don't really know what it translates to. So for me, it's about doing. And I think, again, the place that stops most of us is like, it's too big and complicated and where do I start? And so I developed a diagnostic tool that can help anyone sit down and sort of write down a thing that bothers them that they love to change, but they don't know how. And it takes you through a process of peeling back the layers of the onion to get to like the symptom that you see, what's the underlying causes. And it really relies on that sort of medical diagnosis, right? You go to the doctor and the first thing you do is they take a history. And so it's giving somebody that process to say, okay, let's talk about, let's write down the history of this problem that you've seen in your neighborhood. And then let's identify the underlying, let's assess what the underlying causes. And it's called CHANGE and it's an acronym and each letter of the word change is founded in a step in the process. And so really it just, it's about picking that onion apart, figuring out what the underlying causes are, and then identifying ways where you can apply pressure to those individual underlying problems. And then the last E, the last piece of the component is expand, which is find other people that are bothered by this and that can fold into your process. And that gives you the community that you didn't know existed, right? Everybody's frustrated with stuff and it just gives you a, a starting point for it not to seem so overwhelming because that's what prevented me from jumping in, right? I felt too overwhelmed and everyone sort of feels that. But when you get a doable piece and it's a little piece and it feels manageable, I was just mentioning when I came in here about planting trees. It's something that seems so simple 
in a post-disaster scenario when a place has lost a bunch of trees, we lost a thousand trees. How do we put back a thousand trees? We put them back one tree at a time, you know, and you get a group of people and I bring a shovel and you bring a shovel and our friends bring shovels and we each put a tree back. And all of a sudden, we've not just replaced a thousand trees, we've replaced 2000 trees. And now we've built a community of people that love the place because we were the ones that planted the trees. It wasn't the government, it was us, the people, we the people. One of the things that I wonder about with a process like that, it's pretty agnostic to whatever change you want, whatever issue you might have. But here we are at, at New Partners for Smart Growth. We have some biases about what we think a healthy, resilient community looks like. How does this process lend itself to focusing on certain issues versus another? Or does it not? And it just it's really open to anybody on anything. The thing that I like about the tool is that it's open to anyone at any scale for any problem. We had people in my session yesterday that used the tool to run through everything that you could imagine from an industrial area that had one road in and out and heavily traveled by trucks. And there's a railroad that runs across this road. And oftentimes the trains back up on this railroad track and when the train is blocking this road, the trucks back up. And when the trucks back up, they're sitting idle and they're running and they're putting off a ton of pollution. And of course, this is next to a residential neighborhood where the children have a really high incident of asthma. And this person was like, my kid has asthma. I know it's these trucks. How do, I'm just a normal person though. I don't like, like, how do I even begin this? And so I worked through with her you know, what could you do? And and gave her, I think she left there with like some very small manageable pieces, which was, you know, I bet the trucking company is frustrated its trucks are sitting idle on the other side of the railroad tracks too. Are they willing to invest some money in figuring out an alternate route that's activated when you know that the tracks are going to be, you're not going to move the train tracks, right? The, the railroad administration is a, it's somebody who's fairly inflexible with things. And so how do you find a way around it? And who do you connect with that understands these things? I'm constantly asking people, I don't know about this thing, but I know people who know people that know about things. So it was a small thing in their community that they wanted to address with a tool. So if somebody else was from government and they were like, oh, I can use this actually in the office. We're trying to figure out like, why do we keep running into the same problem when we're trying to do this really good thing in a community, but it kind of falls apart at this juncture. And so I see it as being a tool that empowers the individual, which is very important to me, but it's also capable of being used at a university level or a government level. So it's, it's really got some flexibility in it. So before I forget, is there someplace folks can go and learn about this tool or learn about your work? Sure. The name of my company is Collaborative Communities Management Company. And I'm online, have a website, a Facebook page. It's www.collaborative-communities.com. Very long, hard to spell website address, which is one of the many things that you do when you don't know how to build websites and you, you're starting a business and you come up with a good idea. And that's why you rely on other people that you collaborate with. The website gives an overview of the type of work that I do. It also is a work in progress, as is the book, as is the tool. And so it's certainly not as up to date as I would like for it to be. Also, people can contact me directly. My email address is laura, L-A-U-R-A, at C-C-M-C for Collaborative Communities Management Company.com. Much shorter, easier to remember email address. And because what I do with resiliency is so individualized, sometimes it's just easier to reach out and give me a call and chat about it. So you develop this process out of this experience in your life, this tornadic event, and you're teaching other people how to use it. But can you walk us through an example? In your, is there something in your life right now that's really bothering you? 
that you're working on now and and walk us through the process of attacking that problem and being being an activist uh, on an issue that's currently bothering you well my sister, this, this age advisor, always jokes that it must be really hard to be me because I'm so frustrated with everything <laughs> all the time. And I think that it's something that a lot of people can relate to, especially if you're an advocate, much less if you have already accepted activism into your heart. Once you start seeing injustice in the world, all of a sudden it's like you, you're seeing through the matrix, right? You actually see all the stuff that's wrong everywhere. And if you're a doer, you want to fix all of it. I'm constantly counseled to like, be very careful because I am so invested in making everything better all of the time. I would say that when you're somebody that sees something that's wrong, it doesn't matter what it is or at what scale it is, like me, it's, it's everything. It's recycling, it's my dad's a disabled veteran, it's the healthcare system, right? It's the VA, right? He's been into a VA, it very much frustrates me. I, I just got off the phone call with a nurse that had misadministered medicine. And this is something I feel like a lot of people get frustrated with, daily things, but it happens and they're like, oh, that was frustrating. And then they just walk away from it. And my attitude and what I would like to see people adopting is the attitude of, it's not just about the thing that just happened to you, invest in fixing it. So like what I did is I called the top person at the company just now and I said, listen, I know that this happened one time and it's not really about this thing happening one time. If it happened to us, it may happen to other people and we need to find a solution so that this doesn't happen to anyone ever again. It's not just about my problem. And I think that that is what we're seeing in the world right now is this collective activism whether it's my problem or not, I wanna make sure it doesn't happen to other people. And so anything, anything that happens when I see like, oh, that was messed up, that shouldn't have happened. Let me figure out who I can make a call to and let's figure out how we can fix this. It keeps you pretty busy, but you know, once you see that you've actually made a change, and I mean, even with the VA in New York City, it took, a lot of phone calls and was very exhaustive to get to the right person who could address an issue that I was seeing, that I was experiencing. It turns out actually there were hundreds of veterans who don't have an advocate like me to stand up and represent their interests. When we were able to fix a small broken piece of the system that was about how transportation was being provided to them, it was sort of a magical moment. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm one person. It took a lot of hours of a lot of frustrating phone calls and being running through the gerbil hoops that we feel exhausted on, right? But I actually found the person who made a call and fixed a thing. And like now, like that thing is fixed. And sometimes it it seems more overwhelming than it is if you just dig in and do the annoying pain in the rear. Okay, I guess I'm gonna have to be the one to like make the phone calls. Just do it. Just start doing it. And once you do it once, it's like this addictive fixer mentality. And you're like, ooh, I fixed that thing over there. Now I'm gonna fix this thing over here. Ooh, now I can fix this other thing. And it's infectious. People see you being the change you wanna see in the world. And they're like, oh, Laura's like a friend of mine. She's, I mean, she's got a lot of energy and my energy actually comes from hanging out with other people that do this sort of thing. They just start doing. You mentioned earlier work growing up and living in Alabama or living in Alabama during this event. And then I know from the session you gave, you did work in Sandy. And we, we talked also about living in Japan. You've obviously been all over. One of these sort of challenge areas that we have right now is this urban and rural division. But you've sat in both places. You've seen both worlds. You told me at one point you're comfortable in Brooklyn and in Texas. So how do we start to 
identify and intervene there? Because it's clearly a place of frustration on both sides. Well, I think that it comes from a place of not understanding something that is different from what you're used to. And I, I use the term expand your tribe because we like nice, safe silos, right? Things that we can put in a bucket and, and we can put a label on and it makes it not have to, we don't have to think too much about it, right? We can stick a label on somebody and be like, oh, they're Catholic. Oh, it's a woman. Oh, it's a Hispanic person. Oh, it's whatever it is. A, mechan- a, liberal. a, a liberal. Oh, he's a mechanic. Oh, I know that I do this. He's an engineer. She's an engineer. You know, wink, wink. That's the worst. Right? <laughs> Those are we the all, worst. We all know that. <laughs> it's that mentality of the labels, right? right. And so for me being from a a trashy redneck raised in a trailer in rural Alabama. I grew up in a single wide trailer on the top of a mountain. I know what it feels like to have other people look down on you because you don't quote unquote live in a real house. So I do know that in one sense. And then I have lived, you know, in Tokyo and London and, and New York and LA and all of these fantastic cities. And I, on the other side, I see my family that is hardworking class, rural, salt of the earth folk say like, oh, New York City, that's, oh, aren't you scared? That's so dangerous. And I'm like, it's not a dangerous place. That's hilarious. Like there's just a real misunderstanding. And so when I use the term expand your tribe, what it simply means is if there's something that you don't understand that you're suspicious of or that you're scared of, maybe you even have legitimate reasons to be scared of it. More times than not, you don't have a legitimate reason. It's because you've heard something from somebody or you saw something that led you to believe, but it's not about your firsthand experience. If you're, take your fear and convert it to curiosity, and that's the first step. Just take fear and make it curiosity. And then you can take that first step of like trying, I didn't know anything about Judaism, right? Growing up in rural Alabama, you, we don't have a lot of Jewish folks living on the top of the mountain where I lived. And so I moved to Atlanta and I was in a heavily Jewish community. It's one of the largest Jewish communities in the United States. And I really wanted to learn about Judaism. I was a school teacher, one of my many past iterations of my life. And so I was like, hey, I want to learn about Judaism. I like being around kids. I'm going to go work at a Jewish preschool. Then I can be immersed in what it's learning about Judaism and I'm learning with three-year-olds so it's like a safe place right (laughs) (laughs) I figure if kids can learn through nursery rhymes and singing songs then I can learn too and it it gave me a wonderful context for exactly you know and I started taking classes like what it means to be a Jew in America today and I gotta say it was very strange the looks I got walking into the room because all of these little old Jewish ladies were in there with their rabbi and I'm like I want to know what it feels like to be a Jew in America today. They're like, oh, okay, honey, come on in. (laughs) But again, it was about me taking a fear of the unknown and just being like, how scary could it be if I actually start learning about it? And it turns out it's not scary at all. It turns out people are just people. City people aren't any more or less scary than country people or the people in between. And living in Japan is not any more or less scary than living in rural Alabama, you know, or teaching on the Indian reservation like I've done. And, you know, I just, I feel very blessed that my parents raised me to be curious. And and that's what a lot of people miss is curiosity. 
The engineers are really scary. <laughs> they, they are different, right? They're dangerous. They live amongst us. Well, and I think it comes right back to the, the framework that you were laying out for individual action. It's like not just what you're frustrated by. Take a little deeper look at that and see what are you upset by and what question might that lead you to have? Because maybe the answer isn't to be angry. The answer might be to explore further your assumptions, the situation, the people around you. And so then you can move through that same process. So really great conversation and we could probably talk all day but we are out of time so kiff thank you so much oh, my pleasure and laura thank you so much for being our guest and for the, all the great work that you do well thank you guys for having me it's been a blessing to be able to share it with others thank you and thank you all for listening we look forward to seeing you next time on infinite earth radio Infinite Earth Radio is a podcast produced by Skio in association with the Local Government Commission. To learn more about Skio, Infinite Earth Radio guests, or how you can make a difference in your community, visit our website at infiniteearthradio.com or join us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash infiniteearthradio and Twitter by following at infiniteearthradio.com.